What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm Kelly Evans. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. Here's what's on tap today. Investors are fleeing the names that thrived during the pandemic so far, and they're piling into recovery plays. We see it in the major averages once again. Should you fade the move or should you chase it? We'll talk about that. And one more thing, Apple is kicking off another product event right now with big implications for the tech sector. We have the highlights and the trade ahead. Plus, what to expect from a Biden administration. Our expert has three things he says could get done. We'll tell you what those are. Let's start with the markets, though. The state of play looking very familiar today. Dom Chu has more on that. Dom? A bit more of a churn today than we've seen in the last couple of days. The decidedly positive moves we saw yesterday faded into the closing bell. Still, though, with the S&P 500, you can see we're just about flat on the day, almost dead on there. At the highs, we were up seven handles, down 38 roughly at the lows of the day for the S&P. So, yes, trending a little bit lower to the downside today here. But the Dow Industrials, the real standout so far. If you want to talk about that real rotation you just mentioned in that introduction for our show today, take a look at the NASDAQ 100 ETF. The ticker is QQQ versus IWN, which tracks the Russell 2000. Look at that gap in performance. Just in the last couple of days, we're down 3% for the NASDAQ, up 6% for the Russell. But by the way, remember, the Invesco QQQ ETF is up 34% year-to-date already. The IWM here is up 4%, so a huge reversal. We'll see if that trend continues to play out. And you talked about whether or not certain stocks are leading the way higher and lower. That move between some of those recovery plays. Over the last couple of days, our data team looked at some value-type stocks like General Electric, Boeing, Chevron, and Citigroup. Over the last two days, the cumulative moves that we've seen over two days have been very positive, as you can see here, versus Amazon, Apple, Facebook, NVIDIA, some of those types of plays, very much downside momentum here. So again, that rotation playing out right now, the question is, as you pointed out, Kelly, whether this is a short-term phenomenon or whether or not people go more into that rotation trade in the coming weeks. Back over to you. It has been a violent, violent move so far. Uh, Dom, thank you, sir. Dom Chu. Let's turn to Apple's last big event of 2020. It's now underway with a focus on new Mac computers. Josh Lipton is standing by for us with all the details. What do we know, Josh? So, Kelly, we do expect new Mac computers today, and these Macs will be different with main processors designed by Apple instead of Intel. Reportedly, Apple and suppliers are ramping up production of three Mac laptops with Apple processors, new 13-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros, and a new 13-inch MacBook Air. Company, remember, reported a record $9 billion in revenue from the Mac in its fiscal fourth quarter, and that was a jump of 29%. Now, analysts emphasize that there are really two big reasons why Apple's making this switch to its own custom design processors. One, cost reduction. It saves money to design chips in-house, which can boost profit margins for the product. And two, control over the experience. Apple thinks it can ultimately deliver a better product if it controls more of the device, the hardware, software, and operating system. Kelly, back to you. 
All right, Josh, thank you. We'll see you again in a moment. Josh Lipton will be following this event for us. Let's bring in CFRA Research uh, Senior Analyst Angelo Zeno in the meantime, along with New York Times media reporter and CNBC contributor Ed Lee. Um, Ed, I'll start with you. And I, I thought John Fort's comments were really on point earlier about the importance of Apple shifting to its own chips. What is it at stake here for the you know, likes of Intel and the rest of the chip, chip industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not good news for Intel. It hasn't been for a while. Um, and, you know, as, as you pointed out, I mean, the important thing is, look, margin, right? It's going to improve margin for their business. Uh, they, that, that's always a big part of one of the metrics in terms of what we look for in Apple. Just to be clear, though, it does mean that they will have to support two different CPU engines going forward, meaning the old Intel one on a software basis, right? So that's a bit more cost there. It's a bit more to have to do. It's not as if they can't pull it off, but it's not as, it's not as a pure margin gain as you might think. So I think that's, that's the other thing to, to be aware of. Ed, can you say that again? I just want to make sure I caught you on, on why the Apple's profit margins won't be quite as much as people are maybe salivating over here. Well, again, so the having it in-house will improve margins on the device, but they, from a software perspective, they're going to have to continue to support the old engine, right, on the older products. So, you know, it's it's incremental more cost, but it's more cost, right? It's not as simple as that they're just going to get, they're going to harvest a better margin purely from, from, the, new, from the new chip. They, it, there's a software cost associated with that. Fair enough. Angela, let me turn to you with the stock just under 118 today. Where are you on it? What's your target price? How significant is this event uh, for investors? Yeah, I mean, we continue to recommend the shares. I mean, clearly there's been this rotation out of uh, tech, as everybody is aware of. Um, but that being said, if you're more of a patient investor out there kind of willing to wait this out, um, we do have a buy recommendation and $145 target price. Now, that being said, um, as far as this event is concerned, Listen, Macs are about 10% of Apple's total revenue, probably not going to have much of an implication out there for investors. However, that being said, we do think this event is important from the perspective of, hey, listen, it'll allow kind of, um, you know, Apple to start kind of, um, you know, allowing kind of Macs to kind of operate on the same type of architecture that you see on, um, you know, some of the their more mobile oriented devices and thus, you know, provide just a, a better experience overall across their ecosystem. Angelo, I'm also curious, as we see this massive rotation playing out in the market from pandemic plays uh, to reopening plays, which one is Apple? I mean, this is a stock that arguably suffered from uh, losing some iPhone sales, even though, yes, absolutely, it got Mac sales this year as a result. Um, but the iPhone is its bread and butter. So what side of the equation does Apple fall in? Or could is it the kind of stock that might benefit regardless? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when you kind of look at how the stock has performed here, right, since the January um, 2019 bottom, I mean, we're looking at a stock that's nearly tripled. You look at the March bottoms here and how well the stock has performed. Clearly, the work from home thing has been great for Apple. Um, they've also benefited on the iPhone side of things because consumers are just spending more and more on electronic devices rather than kind of going away on vacation. So that being said, um, the whole stay-at-home theme has actually worked very well for, for them. Now, that being said, uh, you know, we think this stock will probably more in consolidation over the next couple of quarters, despite the fact that we probably see upside to the iPhone consensus estimates and the fact that they will benefit from the whole reopening theme. So which side of the equation are, are they on here? Um, I'd say at the end of the day, pretty much both. But, you know, given kind of the yeah. move we've seen here in recent quarters, expect, you know, some consolidation here.
So, you know, Ed, it's interesting to think about people being back on their mobile phones. And I mean, should we bring back Quibi, right? Should they make another go at it for 2021? And and also, do you expect any other surprises from Apple today? I mean, they say, and one more thing, but in sort of the Columbo style. Um, but is there really <laughs> one more other thing that, that people are kind of listening for? I like that reference. The Columbo reference is awesome. Um, no, I, I, I don't think that there's going to be too many surprises. Um, I, I think, you know, from the perspective of are they more an iPhone leaning or, or, or laptop leaning, there, there will always be more of an iPhone leaning company. I also think the fact that this new chipset that they're, de- they're devising, you know, it sort of follows what you, what you have in your iPhone, right? So apps on your iPhone will now sort of mimic apps that you could have available on your laptop. I think that's important. Um, I do don't want to overlook sort of, and we've talked about this before, but the other, it used to be a sideshow narrative, right? Their services business, their media business effectively, it's actually double the size of their laptop business just in terms of sales, right? Uh, and it's growing at a very steady clip, 16%. It's got great margins, like 66%. So as the hardware sort of universe grows, so does their services um, business. And I think, you know, just to put it in perspective, you know, it's it's no longer a sideshow narrative services, right? It's such a huge part of their business, but it is it does sort of reinforce the idea of this ecosystem, right? So that for every laptop or every iPhone that that's out there that they upgrade or get a new customer into, it expands their services business, which then reinforces their hardware business, right? So you're buying into yeah. an Apple identity ultimately is, is what the whole thing is really about. Yeah. Yeah, no, and by the way, Columbo, that was such a great show. That's one of those, yeah. I'm so glad my dad had it on all the time. I mean, how would I ever have watched Columbo, you know, if I weren't, you know, at home? Which, uh, I don't know. Dad's we should find it, it on streaming. Uh, anyway, someone, should, someone should pick it up. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. I love it. I know. Just please, nobody try to recreate it. There's no way you can capture the magic. Right. Uh, Ed and actually, Ed, we'll check back in with you. Stick around, Ed Lee. And Angela Zeno, thanks to you as well, uh, talking us through some of the implications for Apple stock here. We do want to get to a news alert in the bond market. Uh, on a big week for the 10-year, those notes just went up for auction. Let's check in with Rick Santelli. How'd it go, Rick? It was not a pretty auction. And really, that shouldn't be shocking to anybody. I gave this auction a D plus, a dog plus. Let's go through it. 41 billion tens, Biggest size ever. Biggest size for the 31030 package at $122 billion. But the issue is that the vaccine move yesterday in stocks really took out all the slack out of where interest rates could go without hitting resistance. And nothing is more psychological than 1%. Let's go through it. Everything was on the light side, but the pricing, the pricing at 0.96 was right in line with the one-issue market. It was light on bid to cover. It was light on indirects. Uh, The directs lightest since June. And dealers took a whopping 25%. That's the most dealers have taken since May of 2019. Uh, I think the way you want to formulate this is if we leapfrog, meaning if we can get over 97 on a close, which was yesterday's intraday high, maybe we can keep the momentum going. But that certainly uh, doesn't seem to be the issue at this point. I would have thought everybody would have stepped up to buy this, considering it's probably at 1% or close to 1% yield resistance. Kelly? Back to you. Rick, Rickster, remind me, which one is, is represents foreign buyers? Is that the direct or the indirect? Because after Stan Druckenmiller's comments yesterday, I think we're all a lot more focused on the lack of foreign uh, of buying of the Treasury market this year. And so I, I wonder if we're seeing that in the auction today. 
Yes, we are seeing that. And I'll tell you what, he's exactly right. Because if it was just one country or one large developed economy that was going to be cranking out lots of debt, but it's going to be every economy cranking out lots of debt. And at some point, it's going to be a saturation question. And the United States is in a good spot considering it's a good credit with a reserve currency. But believe me, these packages keep getting bigger And I'm not sure the appetite of those who are accumulating debt is going to continue to keep pace. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Rick. And the 10-year yield is sitting about 96 basis points in the wake of all of that. Meanwhile, the Dow and the S&P are trying to stay in positive territory today while the Nasdaq is negative again. Investors are decidedly turning away from pandemic plays. Joining me now for more on that, Margie Patel is Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Wells Fargo Asset Management. And Charles Babrinskoy is Vice Chair and Head of the Investment Group at Ariel Investments. Welcome to you both. Margie, I'll start with you. you. Uh, Would you stick with this rotation that's underway? No, I think it's a short-term snapback reaction to the uh, COVID uh, vaccine news. And I think it's uh, even beginning to play out already. I think the market will return to the safe growth themes, technology, certain parts of healthcare, certain parts of industrials. Interesting. Let, let me immediately bring Charlie in then, because I believe you'd be on the other side of this, Charlie, thinking the, the value move is overdone and will have legs. No, I agree. It's, it's overdone already. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, no, this this is just getting started. <laughs> I was like, um, wait a minute. <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. No, this is just getting started. We've had, and it's very important for your viewers to remember, we've had 100 years in which value outperformed growth. Owning value stocks means you're getting more in earnings and assets than you are when you invest in a growth stock. When you invest in a growth stock, you're betting on something that's never happened before to happen in the future on an individual name-by-name basis. When you own a value stock, you own something that's proven it can make money. When you own a growth stock, you're hoping that something good will happen, and there's all kinds of work to show that people tend to be too optimistic. So, uh, so for 100 years, value has beaten growth, except for the last 10 years. And in the last 10 years, we've had incredibly low, uh, unprecedented low interest rates, and that makes the future cash flows of growth companies relatively more attractive because the discount rate's so low. If we go back to normal interest rates, which we're in the process of doing, value is going to beat growth by a lot. And we've had an unprecedented mm. gap between growth and value valuations, 10 PE points between the two. So we're just getting started, but when these moves happen, they happen violently. All right. I can hear people screaming at their TVs going, he's wrong. There's no way he doesn't get it. So, Margie, why don't you give a voice to the other side of the argument that Charlie just outlined and and say why you wouldn't be nearly as positive on the value part of the market right now as he is? Well, a lot of those so-called value industries have not had growing earnings over many years. And so when you look at the future value of the cash flow that you're getting at a company, uh, we think that value stocks really don't look overpriced. They reflect that many of these sectors are in stable at best, possibly secularly long-term declining, whereas other sectors that have growth characteristics are reflecting really the dynamic nature of the change. Uh, Look at the role of technology over the last, say, 10 years when growth stocks have so outperformed value stocks. It's really a permanent change in how the economy operates, how we all do business, how we operate as consumers. So we still think that the companies with secular growth 
will produce higher earnings and they have certainly over the last many years. And so we still think growth stocks will be where you'll get a higher total return, although you may get a slightly lower dividend. And don't forget a lot of those dividend stocks that are paying high dividends wind up cutting their dividends when the earnings growth really isn't there to support them. So let me get a couple of names, Margie. Give me three names you'd recommend if you can really quick. Well, we think Apple, for example, is a very attractive long-term growth stock. We also like Microsoft for the long-term growth, the very, very high quality earnings stream. And on the industrial side, we like something like a Honeywell because we think there are industrial companies that have a high technology portion in their business. And we think that they too will be able to be secular growers rather than the old fashioned cyclical value industrial names. All right, so Apple, Microsoft, and Honeywell. Charlie, you can't have a problem with those names, right? They're all wonderful companies. They're just not wonderful stocks. And so I remind people that in 1999, Microsoft was trading at 40 times earnings. And over the next 12 years, earnings doubled, but the stock went down because the PE multiple went from 40 to 12. So all of those, those companies are great companies. I wouldn't, absolutely would not deny that. But ultimately what matters is what you pay for the stock. Eventually, these are not pictures on a wall. They're legal rights to cash flows. That's what you have when you have a stock. And right now, those growth stocks are just not attractive as legal rights to cash flow. Well, we didn't even mean for this to be a face-off, but that was a brilliant debate just now. Thank you both uh, for articulating both sides of this debate that's playing out in the market as we speak. Margie Patel and Charles Babrinskoy, very, very much appreciate it today. Coming up, we'll take a quick break. We have a healthy sector, Bernstein bullish on healthcare following the election, and they've got two names they think could really take off. They'll join us to explain that ahead. Plus, investors hoping that divided government will lead to the good kind of stalemate in D.C., but the Wall Street Journal's Jerry Seib says it could actually empower both sides for action. He'll join us to explain coming up on The Exchange. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. The market is betting on a divided government and that it will lead to the good kind of gridlock in Washington for the next few years. But The Wall Street Journal says division could embolden moderates in the House and Senate, and this may help President-elect Biden with his agenda. Joining me now is Jerry Seib. He's the journal's executive Washington editor and the columnist behind this story. Jerry, it's great to have you back. Um, Thank you. So I, when I hear emboldened moderates, I think, well, that doesn't sound like a very scary prospect. Uh, but what exactly do you think could be some of the legislative uh, or policy items that get done here? Well, look, it's, it's, it's not a scary prospect. The question is whether it's a real prospect. But look, I'm trying to be optimistic here because you look at the alignment that's emerging from this election. You have div- angry election, divided government, probably a Senate under Republican control, barely a reduced Democratic majority in the House and probably a Democrat in the White House. And that looks like maybe a recipe for gridlock. But one of the things that can happen in Washington when power is evenly divided is that everybody is forced to move to the center and that moderates in the center suddenly have more leverage because they can tip the balance. It's very finely balanced. They can tip it one way or the other, particularly if you have moderates in the Senate who get together from each party 
and create a bipartisan uh, team in the middle that forces leaders uh, to move to that middle. And that's at least a possible outcome of this power alignment. And it means that a President Biden certainly couldn't enact the progressive agenda that a lot of people in the Democratic Party's left want. But Joe Biden didn't really want to get pushed that far left anyway, so he can use this kind of an alignment as a check on the left wing of his own party. Um, you know, maybe there's too much bitterness for this to work out that way, but that's certainly the way it has worked out in the past in Washington. I guess my question is, if it if that's kind of the the impetus, where is it going? So, you know, it, it's pretty obvious. I mean, we've heard some of the talking points about what a bigger Democratic majority would do. Um, if it's a, a purple Congress, so to speak, what exactly do they want to get done? Does that just mean compromise on a COVID bill of something in the range of, I don't know, high hundreds of billions, a trillion, whatever the figure is, but what else would it imply beyond that? Well, that, you know, that, that depends on, a little bit on, on how assertive these people in the middle are. But, for example, it probably means you can have a deal, uh, infrastructure deal of some significance, of some consequence, because there is bipartisan support for that. You can probably make that a somewhat greenish um, infrastructure bill, not as green as the Green New Deal, but both parties want to move in that direction a little bit, at least people in the center do. You can probably, you can't in, enact the entire Biden, you know, roll back the Trump tax cuts plan, but you can probably work out something on taxes um, that's a little more progressive than than the current structure. Um, and there are some things like DACA, you know, the the Dreamers, the um, the young immigrants brought here as children uh, by their parents. Both parties want to find a common sense solution to that. Uh, it's out there to be done. So you can have things like that that happen. What can't happen? Well, you can't have a giant rollback, as I said, of the Trump tax cuts. Probably under that alignment, you can't have a Green New Deal. Um, and you probably can't do any of the more extreme things that the, some of the Democrats have wanted, like, for example, let's start to abolish the Electoral College. One of the reasons I think, Kelly, that the, the markets have reacted well to this alignment is that this is kind of a, a move in a small band in the middle alignment uh, that markets tend to like. They don't like to be taken by surprise and they yeah. don't like you know, radical movements. And you're not going to get that out of this alignment. And finally, do you agree with everybody who's saying that this makes Speaker McCon or Leader McConnell very powerful? Um, because I guess I can understand their point on the one hand, but again, it it might be a lot of power to wield over doing not a whole lot. Yeah, I think that's right. But what it does do is it means senators like Joe Manchin of West Virginia and the Democratic side and Susan Collins of Maine on the Republican side, moderates who've been kind of pushed to the side in the in the ideological battles now suddenly can come into play. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that the Mitch and Joe show can be back on, you know, the in the Obama years when there were problems, particularly coming to agreement on budget matters. Uh, President Obama sent Joe Biden up to the Hill and he sat down with Mitch McConnell and the two of them being basically Senate tech politicians figured out a way to get something done. You can have a revival of that. Um, and that has been at least a, a productive uh, lineup in the past. Well, it's fascinating. Like you said, you do point to several areas that investors would care about where we could see some progress. Uh, Jerry, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Jerry Seib with The Wall Street Journal. Still ahead here on The Exchange, his name may not be on your radar, but he's one of the biggest names in the investing world and the deal-making world. We're going to speak to the founder of Toma Bravo, Orlando Bravo, about his record fundraising amidst a pandemic and what he thinks of technology these days. Plus, we're monitoring Apple's One More Thing event, awaiting more product announcements. We'll bring them to you as we get them. Right now, the stock is more or less unmoved by, uh, by the moves that we've had today. 
And as we check on that, let's also take a look. There's Apple shares just fractionally lower on the session, around 116. Let's also take a quick look at some of the retailers. These are much bigger moves. They are outperforming big time today. Walgreens up 8%, Levi 4.5%, Nordstrom up 6% today. Nordstrom is now up 30% in two sessions. That's a rotation for you. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back. Let's get to Sue Herrera for our CNBC News update this hour. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. The Senate's top Republican says if there is a new administration, the formal transition process will take place at, quote, the appropriate time, end quote, and no one should be concerned that it hadn't started yet. Until the Electoral College votes, Anyone who's running for office can exhaust concerns about counting in any court of appropriate jurisdiction. That's not unusual. It should not be alarming. Meantime, the leaders of America's three closest European allies all spoke with President-elect Joe Biden today to congratulate him. In separate calls, the U.K.'s Boris Johnson, France's Emmanuel Macron, and Germany's Angela Merkel said they look forward to working with him on issues like climate change and European security. And Biden also received congratulations today from a somewhat surprising source, Turkish President Erdogan, who has had a strong relationship with President Trump. Just yesterday, Turkey said it would wait for a final result before saying anything. You are up to date. I'll send it back to you, Cal. See you next hour. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Let's get a check on markets. Dow is up 275 points at the highs of the session today, and it is hanging on to gains as this sharp rotation that we've seen uh, really going back to last week does continue. Still, we're only up 96. That's a gain of a third of a percent. The S&P broad market is now negative by half a percent. The Nasdaq's down 1.4 percent today. And that tells you what's going on with the sectors. We have consumer staples, industrials, and utilities, the biggest leaders, surprising with some of those rate-sensitive sectors doing what they are. The 10-year yield still at about 94, 95 basis points today. And the laggards are technology and consumer discretionary. Let's check on some of the individual names. And Beyond Meat is sharply lower after its unexpected loss and lower than expected sales last quarter. Its sales growth was the slowest since its IPO in May 2019. Shares are down 17% today, but the stock is still up nearly 400% since the IPO. Shares of Ulta Beauty are also higher. It is teaming up with Target. Investors seem to like that. The company will open shops in more than 100 Target stores starting in the second half of next year. And their products will also be available on Target's website. Ulta's up 8%. 
and shares of DR Horton are higher after the company, the home builder, beat on the top and bottom line. They also raised their dividend and issued an upbeat outlook for 2021. Horton up 7% in what has been a very strong sector this year. Coming up with investors rotating out of tech, could healthcare be the place you should look to get into? One analyst says yes, and he's got some names you should buy. Plus, the market rally may boost your 401k balance, but probably won't secure your financial future. We've got some steps investors should be taking right now with their savings. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. We're back in a couple. Stay with us. Welcome back. Despite this week's big rally in the market, broadly speaking, the cloud computing ETF, ticker WCLD, is on pace for its worst week since March. That includes names like Zoom Video and DocuSign, which are dragging it lower. But with so many people working from home these days, software has been a bright spot in the business world. There's actually been a flurry of deal making in the space as well since the pandemic began. Leslie Picker joins us with a look at that activity and one of the biggest players in the space. Leslie? Hey, Kelly, you know the saying software is eating the world. Well, that's actually been happening in uh, 2020 with a record in Q3, thanks to a buoyant stock market and work from home tailwinds. According to Duff and Phelps, 400 and 66 transactions in the sector took place in the quarter. The third quarter, that's the one through September. The biggest of the quarter was Intercontinental Exchange's acquisition of Ellie Mae for $11 billion. Ellie Mae was sold by Toma Bravo. And just hours ago, PlanView, which makes portfolio and work management software, was sold by Toma Bravo for $1.6 billion to TPG and TA Associates. Now, Toma Bravo is among the largest of the tech-focused buyout firms with $70 billion in assets. The firm has done more than a dozen transactions this year. And despite the recent pullback in public software stocks, the founder sees no bubble and says this is actually the best time for the sector in his two decades studying the industry. So joining me now is Orlando Bravo, founder and managing partner at Toma Bravo. Thank you so much for joining us, Orlando. We appreciate it. So uh, let's expand upon this a little bit. You do not believe that software is in a bubble right now. No, but no, software really isn't in a bubble. You know, you, you have to step back and take the view that these stocks are not work from home stocks. These companies just did great in a work from home environment. See, right now you have two big trends going on in software. Number one, it's all becoming SaaS and cloud computing very rapidly. That $6 trillion market value that's out there in software is quickly becoming mostly SaaS. What that means is that the companies that are buying these products can now buy them from their operating expense budgets, which are multiples bigger than their CapEx budgets. So all of a sudden, the industry multiplied in terms of its available market size. But secondly, and most important, the new solutions being provided by both the existing players and new companies in the industry are really solving the big things. The high cost of labor input into workflows, business processes, and a way to communicate, transact, analyze information, and make good decisions on data. Those are major problems that are being solved by SaaS companies and cloud computing, which make the industry even multiples larger. So now, as you said, because of these two reasons, software is actually truly becoming everything. It's not just a dream anymore. It is happening through our corporations. But in this current environment, you see software stocks really get whipsawed with kind of the ebb and flow of pandemic news. Do you think that the public market investors are mispricing software right now? I do. 
Now that's a general comment. One thing that has remained true for us in 20 years of buying software companies is valuation inefficiency. In many cases, some companies are grossly overvalued and in many cases they're grossly undervalued. That overvaluation is more common when companies are having fantastic beaten raise uh, environments, even though their earnings could be negative or very small. Now that's happening today as well. It is very difficult for a fundamental investor to justify 50 times revenue plus valuations. But when you really look at, it, at this index of thousands of companies and really look at their multiples versus their historical recurring revenue growth and look at the size of their markets and look at the quality of their solutions and the value they're providing their customers, which is so much higher than the price they're charging these customers. And you extrapolate that trajectory as long as they can execute. These are wonderful investments. Orlando, it's Kelly here. And to pick up on that, and maybe if you could add some context around the outcome of the election and, and now us having this vaccine news, what does that do uh, to set up potentially a lot of deal making in the months to come and into next year? Well, look, the, the private equity industry has also shown that it can work from home. We have done many deals in this environment, both selling companies, as you mentioned, as well as a number of new acquisitions that we've done across uh, our different funds. Now we rely on having relationships that go back many years and a deep understanding of these companies. Our peers have been able to do the same. Now, given the, the, the news that you mentioned, the deal environment is gonna rapidly accelerate, especially in software. There is so much capital that finally sees the value and resiliency of these companies the resiliency of the recurring revenue, the ability to work from home and still execute on your business plan, and now the acceleration of those trends that were already in place, which some people just call in general going digital. Through the pandemic, CEOs of major corporations accelerated their investments in the cloud and in new products because they need automation more than ever. Now, Orlando, I expect you to be a big part of the acceleration in deal-making as you laid out, uh, considering you just raised a reported uh, $23 billion in your latest fundraising round. Where do you see opportunity to put some of that dry powder to work right now? Look, I really hope so, too. Uh, and we've been doing this for a long time. And every new uh, kind of vintage, as the industry calls it, presents different kinds of opportunities and risks. Here, the opportunities are just so much larger than we've ever seen. That's why we raised uh, the capital that we did. And, and we're really investors at the funda fundamental micro level. And we look for three big things in companies. Number one, could you build a really large recurring revenue stream over time with the products and the capabilities that you have? In other words, is this company a true innovator that can be in the number one in its industry? Number two, in order to get there, does this company require a whole set of changes that are much better done in a private environment where you can do them all at once, you can execute rapidly, and you can take a longer term view of the returns from those changes? And number three, and probably the most important is, do you have a management team and a culture that is open-minded and that you can work with? And if you have those three across all of our software sectors in this $6 trillion market cap world, 
it really fits our, our profile. Well, it sounds like the $23 billion uh, will have plenty to work with in the $6 trillion market cap sector. Orlando Bravo, founder of Toma Bravo, thank you for joining us today. Kelly, back over to you. Yeah, and a pretty mean tennis player, too, uh, as I understand it. Leslie, thank you. And our thanks to Orlando Bravo. Still ahead, the Dow climbing nearly 7% over the past week. We've got three steps to take to boost your 401k and help reach your retirement goals. That's coming up. Also, take a look at shares of Peloton. The stock started the day deep in the red, but this has seen a nice turnaround. It's up about 5.5%. The fitness tech company announced a partnership with Beyonce. Call it the Beyonce effect. We're back in a couple. Welcome back. We are monitoring shares of Apple this hour as they hold their One More Thing product event and make a few more announcements. Shares up half a percent right now. They've gone back to positive territory. Josh Lipton joins us with an update. Josh? So, Kelly, Apple just here introducing a new generation of Macs. And I'm going to quickly walk you through them. A new MacBook Air. Remember, that's the most popular Mac. So this product will going to rely on a, a brand new main processor designed by Apple instead of Intel. They're calling it the M1. So basically a new big brain for this machine. It's going to mean, so Apple says, better performance, better power efficiency, improved graphics, stronger security, faster than 98% of PC laptops sold in the last year, according to Apple. No fan either, so a completely silent machine. The price, $999. They also introduced the new Mac Mini, also comes with the M1, that new uh, main processor. This version, they say, much faster, better performance. The price there, $699. So that's actually $100 dollars uh, lower than the previous generation. And finally, Apple did unveil a new Mac Pro, a 13-inch version, uh, again, with the M1. This version, they say, more powerful, longest battery life, they say, ever in a Mac. Studio-quality mics, so obviously good for the work calls that so many of us are now doing from home. The price there, $12.99. In terms of availability, you can order these Macs, they say, starting today and officially available next week. Kelly, back to you. <laughs> Joshua, thank you. Josh Lipton with the latest from Apple this hour as they hold their product event. Let's get to a news alert on United Airlines in the meantime. Phil Abo, what's happening? Kelly, take a look at shares of United. After five years, United Airlines is returning to JFK in New York City. Again, five years ago, they pulled out at the time. They said, look, we can't make money on these flights going to L.A. and San Francisco. And so they dropped it. Well, they're coming back on February 1st. When they dropped those flights, they said they were losing money. Well, Scott Kirby, who is now the CEO, when he was brought in as president in 2016, he said, oh, no, not a good idea. You're losing all these corporate customers. You need to get back there. They're going to be expanding their service out of JFK. Why is it important? Because when you look at who has hubs in JFK, you're looking at Delta, American, uh, JetBlue. It is huge when it comes to corporate travel, and United wants to get a piece of that again, in addition to keeping its service, obviously, out of its hub in Newark, as well as at LaGuardia. So again, guys, United returning to JFK after a five-year absence from flights out of that airport. Guys, back to you. It's fascinating, Phil. I mean, it sounds like you said, like this was something the company was simply interested in doing. I don't know if we have any sense of the economics of it, if the pandemic had anything to do with offering an opportunity there. No, I think and this was Scott Kirby. To, to divest this was, at all. Kelly, this, this was Scott Kirby. When he was brought in as president, when he came over from American, he was very clear in saying, what a stupid idea to pull out of JFK in 2015. And at the time, United executives saying, well, we're losing money on these flights to L.A. and San Francisco. And what Kirby said then, which he's making good on now, is 
You need those corporate customers. Those are the most lucrative customers in the world. If you don't fly that route from JFK to those, those places, you're basically saying to American and Delta, have the corporate customer, have the most lucrative customers. What they're saying now is they want those customers back. Yeah, he makes a very good point. Uh, that, that's a good sign for, for New York City these days. Uh, Phil, thank you so much. Yeah. Phil LeBeau with the update there. Let's turn back to the market rally. Might be making you feel pretty good about your 401k balance right now, but it doesn't mean you should just sit back when it comes to your retirement goals. Sharon Epperson is here with a look at three things investors could be doing right now in order to reach those goals. Sharon? Kelly, you know, we reported about how 401k participants move money around in their retirement accounts last week, the day before the election day, more than twice as much as they had normally done on the average trading day. That money mostly flowed from equities into fixed income, according to Alight Solutions. Now, as the market surged yesterday, some put money back into equities. But financial advisors say, instead of trying to time the market, do this with your money now. Review your allocation. Stick with a simple, diversified portfolio. The market's ups and downs this year may have created imbalance. So now it's time to reset. Increase your contribution. Take full advantage of your company's matching contribution and add more money if you can. And if your plan has an auto escalation feature, commit now to increasing the percentage of your pay that goes into your 401k. And automate your savings for sanity. This is money that you save for nothing in particular. It's a financial cushion to keep you sane. You also need to rein in your spending, of course, and financial success in retirement generally depends more on how much you spend than how you invest. So that's something else to keep in mind, Kelly. True, true. We never we don't talk as much about that uh, aspect of it. Sharon, thank you very, very much. Sharon Epperson. Sure. Up next, Bernstein is initiating coverage on the big pharma stocks today. We're going to get their two top ideas in the sector, including one they think can rally nearly 30 percent. Which one of those is it? We'll tell you after this quick break. Welcome back. Progress in the fight against COVID continues. Eli Lilly getting an emergency use authorization for its COVID antibody drug. That's notable because it can help reduce hospitalizations, which are soaring right now. The stock is up a little over 3% today. Here's what the CEO said about their therapy on Squawk Box. I'm uh, so pleased to hear about Pfizer's news yesterday, and we hope that makes this obsolete. I don't think it will. Even in um, well-controlled respiratory illness like RSV and others, we still have vaccination and antibody therapy. But my next guest is already looking beyond the pandemic for buying opportunities in the healthcare space. Joining me now is senior analyst at Bernstein covering global specialty pharma and biotech, Ronnie Gal. Ronnie, it's great to have you. And, you know, one of the ways that we teased this segment was to say you, you see a name that has 30 percent upside and investors should maybe look to healthcare uh, as they rotate out of tech. But tech yeah. investors want a lot more than 30 percent upside. <laughs> what would you tell them? Well, I cover a lot of pharma. 30 percent is pretty good, uh, especially if the downside is not uh, terrible. And those companies also pay pretty nice dividends, typically uh, three to five or six percent. So, you know, if, if you need to get a tripling, that's probably not what you're going to look. But most of us will be pretty happy with percentages that are, you know, beat the um, the cost of living by a few percentage points. Uh, absolutely, uh, people with maybe you know they, they need to sleep at night. Uh, so tell me why in, in this yeah. sector in particular. Yes, what is your top pick, and uh, what in general would you recommend in terms of kind of the thesis here for investors? Right. So I think the sector, uh, the, I guess the large cap biopharma sector, is up for about a 15 or 20 percent um, rebound. The sector traded down um, in absolute terms. Not even we're not even talking about going up with the S and P, but actually traded down 
I was also fear that the Democrats will sweep the Senate and will incorporate some of the more sharpest um, proposals made by the liberal wing of the Democratic Party as, as how we will deal with drugs in this country. And now that we are looking more at a 50-50 or even a 51-49, 52-48 for the Republicans, uh, this is unlikely to happen, especially if you consider that some of the, the blue states are also the, the hearts of the drug industry. So, you know, Gonzalez, um, uh, sorry, Menendez and uh, Booker in uh, New Jersey are unlikely to vote for uh, a resolution that will gut their uh, hometown industries. So, so without that, we are looking at reasonably a benign outlook for the drug industry, which should allow the companies to re-rate the roughly 15 or 20 percent they've lost running into the election, and more if you consider with the S&P mm-hmm. is today. So our general call is you kind of want to own the sector, and if you kind of want to do the beta trade and just kind of have a vanilla uh, drug companies that will do reasonably well, the most obvious one is Pfizer, uh, where we think it does not have any material downside associated with it. And near term. Uh, in terms of seeking alpha within the sector, we really like AbbVie. AbbVie trades at the bottom of the sector about 7.8 times uh, PE on next year's numbers. The big fear here is that Umira, their largest drug, is losing patent protection in 2023, and we'll see a lot of bisomal competition. Mm-hmm. A- and we fully expect that bisomal competition to take place, uh, but we do see a couple of really good drugs in their pipeline called Rinvok and Scarizi, uh, which are essentially uh, an improvement on Humira for the same indications. Uh, and they will plug most of the hole. Uh, and then the company recently bought Allergan, and we believe that out of the distancing period as we kind of go back to normal, uh, the, that business will kind of roar, come roaring back. Uh, and between those two, yeah. we believe the company will have significant upside. That's where we see the 30%. Yep. So AbbVie and Merck, you have an outperform. Uh, your market perform on Pfizer, Bristol-Myers, and real quickly, Eli Lilly, why aren't you more bullish on them in light of this announcement today? Yeah, so uh, it's great for all of us that uh, they delivered the results they did in the, in the fight against COVID-19. And those are really impressive results, and I congratulate them. But financially speaking, I don't see those uh, as being a big uh, big driver. So we got a billion and a half uh, for Lilly this year, a bit more for uh, for uh, Pfizer. But there'll be other antibodies. Yeah. There'll be a lot more vaccines, and, and we don't think those will do particularly well. Yep. Fair enough. Not enough to move the needle. Ronnie, thank you very much. Ronnie Gal joining us with his healthcare plays. And that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.